get tired, God never gets tired. Be encouraged by that passage. Let's turn now to uh, Matthew chapter 15, going through the book of Matthew. How many are enjoying this? Amen. It's a time to learn the word verse by verse and to hear what God has to say for us. Today we're going to learn about from out of the heart. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands before they eat. So here these Jewish people are upset with the disciples because they see them breaking a tradition. Now understand there's something different in the Bible about breaking the laws of God versus breaking a tradition. How many were brought up in a home, maybe where you were Roman Catholic, and you were taught that when you passed by a church, you were supposed to do the sign of the cross? How many had that tradition? Here's another tradition. Were you brought up when you heard somebody sneeze that you were supposed to say, God bless you? Did you have that tradition? Now, how many know if you drove by a Catholic church or if somebody sneezed and you didn't say God bless you or you didn't do the sign of the cross, how many know that's not the same as telling a lie or taking something that doesn't belong to you? There are traditions and then there are commands. In this time, they had traditions to wash their hands before they ate. How many think that's a good tradition? We should do things like that. But the Pharisees are not coming with the right heart. They're not coming to learn. We're at 15 now, almost uh, uh, more than halfway through with the book of Matthew. We are now already aware that these guys are scheming. They are plotting. All they want to do is catch Jesus doing something that they can arrest him for. So they're asking Jesus, why do your guys break this tradition of not washing their hands. And maybe it could just be they were washing their hands, but not the ceremonial way they wash their hands, similar to how Muslims do and do certain things and certain motions and prayers as they're washing their hands. Or it could just be they were fishermen. They were rugged dudes. They would just grab the sandwich. They would just eat and not have to think about it. And because they had built up an immune system, the germs didn't hurt them because how many know dirt don't hurt? Okay, so whatever it was, the reason, they're not doing it. But Jesus ain't got time for that. He don't even answer the question. He doesn't give them the explanation, such as they did wash their hands, but you didn't pay attention. Or they are doing it, but they're not doing it your way. Or give them a break. we just been out all day, and they want to eat something now. He goes right into verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? He just claps back right at him. Now understand this. If you see Jesus as a non-argumentative person, you don't see the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible knew how to clap back. The Jesus of the Bible knew how to argue and debate. He was not an argumentative person by nature. He was not, a, 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 um, as they would say, uh, a contrarian. He was not just trying to be contrary to cause an issue or to be rebellious. The Bible says he knew how to get under their skin and to reveal the heart of the issue. So the idea isn't, Let's talk about hand washing. Let's talk about your hypocrisy. 
And so we can learn from that. Learn how to put people in their place with love and gentleness and kindness, okay? So Jesus is going to put them in their place. He's not going to now go over some basic, petty stuff, trivial stuff that they should have known better. He's going to go right at them and catch his line of argument. You're upset we're breaking a tradition. God's upset you're breaking a command. So which one is worse, breaking a tradition or breaking a command? A command, so he puts it right back on them. You should not be worried about the speck in our eyes because you have a plank in your eye, and he's already been talking about that, hasn't he? Verse 4, for God said, honor your father and, father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. How many are glad you don't live in the old covenant? Amen. And by the way, pray for this light. This light has a demon in it. We need it to be released in Jesus' name. You know, the funny joke is, what happened to the demons after the pigs died? Because he cast out like 5,000 of them. They went to the pigs. They ran off the cliff, and then the pigs died. Where did they go? They waited for technology, and now they have made their home in our computers, in our wires, in our phones, and in our lights today. Satanas, I rebuke you. Now, nombre Jesus. This one light is just like doing the rainbow up here, okay? I wish I could just go up there and unplug it, but that would be a little ghetto. So please try to stay focused as you can. But once again, he's going to build on the premise. Here's a command. Honor your father and mother, and you better not curse them out or you would be dead. I would have died around 11 years old in this culture. You would see a grave in the backyard of my house. Here lies Joe Y. Rostick, the 11-year-old that cussed out mama. Uh, he, he got stoned to death, you know. That was a real law that you could not do this against your parents and expect to, to live. Now watch how he applies it to them. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. Somebody say Corbin. That's why it's in quotes. It means Corbin. It was a tradition they have had, they are not to honor their father or mother with it, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now let me explain the tradition of Corbin. It's linked there in our notes and on the app, so you can go back and check it for, for later reference. The idea wasn't that it was wrong to give to the church. Tithes and offerings were commanded for everybody. But some people got slick and said, I'm going to give all my money to the church so I don't have to give it to my parents or my crazy kids. And they would get out of their responsibility of having to take care of their family, which in that day they didn't have nursing homes, Social Security. So they would get out of the responsibility of daily caring for their children, daily caring for their parents, and just send all the money to the church and say, now y'all just take care of it, almost like the church's responsibility is to do those things. And what he's saying is that tradition is bunk. That is bogus. And the priests, y'all Pharisees, you love it because you be skimming off the money they give to you to take care of the people. Are you guys getting this? And so Jesus pointed this out and said, you nullify. Literally, you stop the word of God and its effect in your life because of this tradition that comes against it. My power is not working through you. God's power is not there because your tradition has dampered it, has put out the flame, has taken away the foundation. He put them in their place, didn't he? He really set them straight. They started off saying, why aren't your guys washing their hands? And all of a sudden they found out they're nullifying the word of God. Let's keep going. Chapter 15. 
Jesus now quotes the word to them, gives them the scripture. And if you can, it possibly back there, just maybe even turn it down. Uh, it says here, you hypocrites. Is that the Jesus you know and love? How many love the Jesus of verse 7? Amen. I love name-calling Jesus. He's about ready to call Peter stupid, so I hope you love Jesus even when he calls people stupid. And if you think it's bad to be called stupid, the S word, he gets even called a worse S word in the next chapter 16. He gets called Satan. So, yeah, the Bible's pretty real, and I'm going to explain to you when it's okay to call people stupid and Satan in just a little bit, okay? It's all quiet when I talk like that. That's okay. I'm going to teach you the Bible. Aren't you glad I can't skip verses? I have to go verse by verse and explain stuff to you? See, because some preachers, they don't have to do that. They just explain to you whatever the nice parts are and don't deal with God calling people stupid, Satan. Oh, and by the way, he's going to call a woman a dog today, so get ready for that. That was before the rappers ever made it popular, so I want all the feminists to be paying attention to that, okay? Because Jesus full out called this woman a dog, okay? So Jesus says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. We are now going to take an unscheduled commercial break for me to figure out this light. Would you ask your neighbor right now, do you worship God the right way or the wrong way? Let me help these guys here in the back. Give me a, give me a moment. Thank you. Amen. I'm almost done with the lights. How many just like the lights on? Amen. We're the light of the world. All right. This brother's going to help us and just unplug that. So we will be having that distraction mid-service now. I love how Jesus calls them out and says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, I wonder if you were just honoring God with your lips, but your hearts are far from God. Because if it's possible for them to do it, then that means we can do it. We can be faking it because just simply coming to church and singing a song does not mean your hearts are close to God. Hearts being close to God are dependent upon obedience. And listen to what Jesus said in the Old Testament. He said this to King Saul, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, which means when you reduce witchcraft down to its most foundational level, it's not witches, it's not spells, it's not potions, it's, it's not satanic seances. What it really is is rebellion. 
It's trying to do things your way instead of God's way. And so oftentimes we look at the big sins and we go, oh, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not stealing from my job. I'm not lying, etc." And we don't see that the sin of rebellion is actually worse than all of those because if it wasn't for rebellion in the garden, we never would have the option to do those. So pride is the root of sin and the most worst of all sins is because that's the only one that can't be forgiven. Everybody understand this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the sin against the Holy Spirit, as we've already read, the unforgivable sin of 1 John is simply this, the sin of pride against what God is doing. Because no one can get saved unless the Holy Spirit speaks to them. It's impossible for you to do this on your own. You need the help of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And so some of you might say, well, if I can never be forgiven of my pride, then how do I ever get saved? I didn't say that you couldn't be forgiven of pride. You couldn't be forgiven in the sin of pride. So if you are in the actual sin of pride, you will never be forgiven. And that is the one sin that everyone has in common that goes to hell because it's the root to all sin. In other words, the only way you can be saved is to come out of pride into humility. That's the only way. You could come out of pride into humility, still struggling with your sexuality, still struggling with your words, still struggling with a lot of things in your life, and God will deal with it, but you can never be saved while you're in your pride. It's impossible. The Bible said he resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. Only the humble get grace. The proud only get resistance. I'm going to say it again. Listen to me. Only the humble get grace, but the proud only get resistance. So this is what Paul, uh, or rather Jesus, is saying to us. He is saying to us, we must see our heart as the center of all that we do, not just our lips. Because it says with their lips they honor him, but their hearts are far from him. Thank you. This light right here, if you could just unplug all the wires that are attached to that. Thank you. This is a good example of unity. These lights all talk to each other, and if one is wrong, they'll throw each other off. And if there's a bad one, we have to unplug it. So as they're going up there, we can watch them for a little bit and have another break, or I can keep going. What should I do? I'll keep going? Okay. So I got some human rules for you today. And by the way, a lot of the human rules that you think I'm going to probably mention right here, uh, we don't talk about anymore. I'm going to go to where we really live in the American church, okay? Because the idea of like, oh, you got to come dressed up to church, nobody talks about that anymore. Look around. Nobody's really dressed up, you know. Uh, the idea that, you know, um, you, know you, you can't come to church and, and be a young person. It's only for old people. All, all that's, that's, that's gone. Nobody thinks about that anymore. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's give it up for our hardworking brothers here. Thank you, guys. Let, let me give you some real man-made rules that I guarantee you, you probably have heard or dealt with. Here's a man-made rule. Thou shalt keep sinning as long as thou repentest. See, that's a man-made rule, isn't it? That's a man-made rule. The man-made rule is keep on sinning because you can be forgiven. Get as much of this thing called grace as you want because really there's no transformation in the Christian life. Nobody's perfect. Just keep on sinning. See, that's a human rule that if you try to obey, your heart's going to be far from God. See, I told you they're going to be personal. Not you can't come to church unless you wear a suit. Who really deals with that rule? That's not a rule we're dealing with. Let me give you another one. 
Thou shalt not judge, correct, or rebuke another Christian because that is not nice nor any of thy business. Mind your own business. How many know that's a rule? That's a man-made tradition that if you honor that, you are far from God. The judgment we're not supposed to do is hypocritical, but we are supposed to get over hypocrisy and actually judge each other for help. When we talk about the judge not lest he judge, you judge not lest ye be judged passage, we read through it here verse by verse. It then goes on to say, why do you with a plank look at the speck in your brother's eye and try to get it out? First, what does it say? Take the plank out of your eye, then you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. It doesn't just stop with judge not. It's basically saying stop judging with the plank in your eye and then make right judgments to help people by the plank getting out your eye. But that's a human rule. Don't judge nobody. Don't judge me. Here's another human rule. Thou shalt not feel convicted about missing church or causing issues in the church because church is whatever you make it to be. You know, you believe church is on the boat. I met a couple like that. They were actually even worship leaders in their church. And, and I said to them, oh, what do you guys do on Sunday? And they said, oh, right now in the summer we don't do much. And I said, why is that? They said, oh, because our pastor gives us off. And I said, what about going to church and obeying the command not to forsake the gathering together and to be under the, the submission of elders and deacons and obey your leaders, all of these wonderful scriptures? They said, oh, we do that on the boat. We do that on the boat because wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am. You know, and I'm like, well, you're just making up stuff. I, I want to make up stuff too. I believe I can fly. You believe this is church. I believe I can touch the sky. You see, that's called make believe. Jesus said he would be with us. Of course, he's with you on the boat, but that's not church. Church is where his word is taught with elders and deacons. If you think church is you on the boat, then explain to me the epistles when he's rebuking them and putting people out and disciplining them and calling out names. How is that going to happen with you and your husband on a boat? You see, people get silly when they make up their own man-made rules. And by obeying those rules, they nullify the word of God. Come on, watch out for these man-made rules. I got another one. Got two more. Your toes hurt yet? Have I stepped on any toes here? How about this one? This one definitely gets some of y'all right here. I know this. Thou shalt not give thy tithe and offerings when times are tough because the church will be fine. See right there, oh, you know, Pastor, I don't need to give right now because I'm going through tough times. God understands. Let me tell you what God understands, your foolishness. And he understands you are living in folly, you are rebellious, you are not being who God asked you to be. I give my tithes and offerings. I've done that before I was a pastor. I do that as obedience unto God, not whether or not the church needs it. And sadly, I have been a part of bad churches. I've been a part of churches where I wonder where the money went, and then eventually I left those churches. At a church like this, you can check where the money goes. You can go right in the back. We'll print it off for you. We put at the end of the year all of the, the, where, where the money went. No one here is trying to hide that from you. You can ask it at any time and get year reports. And so some people might be like, well, you know, I'm too poor to be greedy. No, you, you can be greedy and poor. Trust me, I used to work in the Jecks. I worked in the project seven and a half years. I met a bunch of poor, uh, greedy people. And I've been downtown, and I've met rich, greedy people. Are you listening? Uh, you can be greedy. You can be stingy and, and be poor. And so don't just think that being greedy means you have a lot. No, I've met a lot of poor, stingy, greedy people. Can I hear an amen to that? And I've met a lot of rich, generous people too. Amen? Here's the last one. Thou shalt be free to believe whatever thy heart wants to believe, as long as you believe it's true. 
I mean, that's true for most people. That's what they say. Well, that may not be true for you, but it's true for me. This is my truth. All right, I'm going to try that with the bank this week. Let me see my bank statement. Oh, man, that ain't my truth. Let me write down my number right here. This is how much should be in my bank. This is my truth. I'm going to let you know my truth. I'm a billionaire right now. Let me tell you my truth. My truth is your house belongs to me. That's my truth. You see, when we bring it into the real world, it sounds silly. But everybody now got to tell their truth. Well, God's not like that. That's not how I see God. We had preachers uh, last Sunday at the... uh, the gay pride parade, you can watch it online, and, you know, we're preaching out there, and they, they were yelling back at us, you know, God loves everybody, and then you can hear Jose say, yes, but he doesn't love what everybody does, and then she yells back, oh, yes, he do, he loves what they do, too, he loves them like that. No, he doesn't. You see, that's make-believe Jesus. That's not real Bible Jesus. Let's look at verse 9 again. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And I'm sure I can name a lot more today, but I think you get the point. We in the American church have our own make-believe teachings and human traditions, and we need to stop doing that. We need to put it on the Word. Amen? Put what you do on the Word. And then the Bible says that the Scripture is not for private interpretation. Even when you give spiritual words in this church, 1 Corinthians 14 says, let the elders judge what is being said so that no false doctrine comes out. You know, somebody could be like, "Woo! I feel Jesus. And he's telling me right now that everyone is free to be sexually who they want to be. Well, am I supposed to judge that or just say because they said Jesus said, let's let it go? No. We're supposed to stop and judge even what people say they feel in their heart. Well, I had a dream that you were supposed to be my wife, baby. Don't you already have a wife? Yeah, but God told me I'm released from her. You're supposed to be my new wife. Pastors have even said that. There are recorded texts. You can look it up. Jack Scott of First Baptist of Hammond, you can listen to him sending texts to a 16-year-old girl convincing her that you are now supposed to be my wife. That's why he's in jail. Amen? Praise God. And if the Old Testament was happening, he would already be meeting Jesus on Judgment Day. I don't understand why we don't understand this. When we look at the Bible, it's really pretty clear. I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, I'm going verse by verse through it. I'm already losing pages of my Bible. Uh, I mean, there's so much highlight here. You know how it is when you work the Word, you know. And, and I got it on my phone in a program as well. But I was just thinking about this like there has really been nothing complicated here. There's stuff we take our time to understand. Maybe there's, uh, you know, some different viewpoints on it. But it's really clear when you look at it. At this point, Jesus is fed up with the Pharisees, and he's showing them that they're making the wrong judgments. And so this idea that people don't judge others when uh, it comes to religion, it's only the fundamentalists that judge, that is totally wrong. So, for example, when I was at Boricua Fest and uh, Sadia was telling her testimony about being set free from being a lesbian, and then I, I could tell that people were giving us disgusted looks, so I took the mic and I said, hold on, hold on, let me ask you something. She's telling her truth. Do you all believe that truth? And I could tell that they started getting mad and upset, and then, you know, they were getting offended. You know what? It's almost like they get offended that we're telling them the truth, Right. And, and it's like I just shouted back, not in these words, but very similar. I'm offended, you're offended. So stop being offended. 
And the idea is the one who gets offended thinks they have the right to control the conversation. And Jesus is saying, just because you're offended, I don't care. I'm going to keep telling you the truth, whether you like it or not, because truth is not about feelings. Amen? If you want to argue with the truth, do so with the truth. Maybe there's a part of it we're missing or something, but you don't argue with the truth based on feelings. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, by the way. So all truth comes from a person. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word word there is logos. It means logic. Jesus is the logic of the Word. So you're not going to make nonsense out of this Bible, or you're not going to try to use nonsense to prove the Bible. We believe the Bible is logical. It's a logic of heaven. It's not the logic that you may always understand. Walking on water makes logical sense if you understand the God of the Bible. Why does it make logical sense? Here it is. Uh, premise number one, God created everything. Premise number two, if the one who created everything says you can walk on water, premise number three, therefore you can walk on water. What's illogical about that? There's nothing illogical. It's just that we don't know anything about the creator telling us to do stuff like that, right? And so we don't take our foolishness and put it on God's word. We let God's word take out our foolishness. Now look at verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. So I've already given you a taste that he's going to call Peter stupid here in a minute. And we need to understand this. Jesus is not lacking patience, just calling names and being mean. He is telling them, listen to me and understand this. What goes in someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. How many got that? Simple. It's very clear. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? How many, how many know Jesus already knew that? And how many know Jesus didn't care? When you come to me and tell me your friends are offended, number one, I have a problem with you now because you didn't have a problem with your friends. And then number two, now I don't care about what you have to say. Why is that? Because I'm not doing this on popularity. I'm not, I don't have a number down here to vote for me if I'm coming back as the pastor in the finals next week. Are you listening? You guys ever watch America's Got Talent, the number, and they got to come back? You got, I don't know. You guys are tired or didn't get it. It's not even supposed to be funny, but do you get what I'm trying to say? I'm not up here for a vote. Jesus is not taking votes asking the Pharisees like, oh, how was that, guys? He's not that. He's telling us exactly what the truth is, and he's like, deal with it. Well, now the disciples, plural, are like, oh, Jesus, don't you know they're getting offended? Look at what Jesus says. He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. Come on, some people, you just got to leave. Jesus said, I'm done with you. I've already said enough. I've already explained it enough. I am now leaving you. Jesus left people? Oh, yeah, Jesus left people. I'll leave you too if you don't believe it. I'll show you how Jesus leaves people. If you, amen, come on, elder. If people want to, uh, you know, cause issues in the church, keep asking questions without trying to learn, live wicked lives and make excuse for it, we're done with you. Listen, this is a church. This is a church. A church is for a people called the church. We are here to live according to God's commands. This is not for everybody. This is for the righteous. If you want to go from being wicked to righteous, you're more than welcome to come. But if you want to stay as an ain't, you can't hang out with the saints. Well, I ain't that. I ain't this. Well, then you ain't a part of this church then. And here's the thing. I guarantee you'll find a 100 other churches that don't care about what I'm saying either. 
So you're like, oh, that bothers me and offends me. Oh, listen to me. You can find a hundred other people that are just like you. So don't blame it on me today. I'm telling you the word, and if you don't like it, you can find 10 other pastors to agree with you. This is a church that's a remnant. We're trying to be like the word. We're trying to put things in place and put things in order. Go to Titus, please. I want to show you in the New Testament, uh, in the epistles. How many know we love you here? How many, I mean, I want you to come back next week, but I mean, I have to be honest with you. The Bible says in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, warn a divisive person once. And then after that, have nothing, uh, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-deceived and self-condemned. Does everybody see that? Now, does that mean everybody has to be perfect all the time? No. I may, uh, you know, make mistakes, but what am I going to do as a Christian if I make a mistake? I'm going to repent. Don't hang around me if I keep making excuses for sins. Warn me. Help me. And if I don't listen, leave me. Can I hear an amen to that? Some of you are like, I'm married to somebody like that. Well, listen, don't leave them yet. The Bible says you can't, you can't divorce somebody on this. You can only let them leave you, the Bible says. You like that? You can only let them leave you. Other people, you might say, well, I'm working next to somebody like that. Do I leave the job? No, you can't leave that job until God tells you to leave. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Amen? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Somebody say, work the word. My goal is to preach every book of the Bible verse by verse before I meet Jesus. I will take little breaks in between and go back to preaching, you know, just whatever the Lord put on my heart. But right now, man, I just got to stick with this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at the end here, verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Does everybody get that? So we're not separating from just every sinner out there that's wicked. No, he's very clear on how this works. Look at verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister. Do you get that? There's supposed to be a difference here. So if you claim to be a brother or sister and you're sexually immoral, you're greedy, you're an idolater, you're a slanderer, drunk or a swindler, I'm not even supposed to eat with you. I was doing this in cemetery, I mean seminary, uh, a couple months ago, and I put this up, and a pastor told me, I don't believe that's relevant for today. I said, I don't believe you're relevant for today. I'll take this over you any day. Do you think there's a third covenant? Did, uh, did Jesus send Gabriel to die for us now, and there's a new covenant? Man, there's only two covenants, old or new. Which one do you think this one's in? This is the new covenant. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, well, you're going to kick everybody out. Pastor, going to be all alone. No, listen. You sexually immoral, repent and watch what God will do in your life. Do, do not come to this church if you love your sin. Go find another church to love your sin in. Come here if you hate sin. Come here if you don't ever want to sin again. If it's in your heart, I don't ever want to do this again. If I ever did, God forgive me. I don't want to stay this way. It, it, don't come here if you want to stay covetous. Come here if you hate being covetous. You hate being idolatry. You hate being a reveler. You hate being a you hate being an extortioner. You come here if you want to live for Jesus. I'm going to help you, and I'll be the first to say when I commit those sins and repent, okay? And I thank God that many of those I haven't sinned in a long time. 
It's been over 20 years since I've been a drunkard. How many can say amen to that? I mean, you have a good pastor here that loves God. Uh, you know, idolatry. There may be times I put things before God. Maybe I put the ministry before God or other things. And I've repented before that. Sexually immoral. I haven't been sexually immoral in over 20 years. Thank God for that. I have lusted at times and asked God to forgive me. But there's nothing in my heart that wants to keep in sin. Because if I want to keep in sin, don't keep company with me. You better put that on Facebook. If you keep sin, I'm not keeping company with you. It's that simple. Thus says the Lord. Amen? All right, let's go back to the passage. Jesus is being clear to us that he's not going to stop preaching the truth just because people get offended. He is going to walk away from them and let them fall into the pit on their own. Just wash his hands of them. And that's a biblical concept. Ezekiel chapter 3 says, after you've warned people, you wash your hands of them, the blood of their soul you're not responsible for. Now here's where Peter gets called stupid. Let's go to verse 15. Peter said, explain the parable to us. What did we not understand about what we just read? It was so clear. What goes into the mouth does not defile you. It comes from the mouth that defiles you. Peter then said, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, why are you so dull? I'm going to show you in just a moment. That word is stupid. That word, we're going to learn it in the Greek, asynathos. We're going to learn it very clearly what that word is. But before I get here, why is Jesus so harsh with him? Because we've got to read the Bible to read the Bible. The disciples We're being petty about Jesus causing offense. And then Jesus blows it off and says, just leave them and let's go. And then now Peter's like, well, explain the parable to us. That's how I see his attitude. His attitude is like, well, I didn't get it the first time. Explain it to me the second time because I guess I'm not understanding. But it's like, Peter, you know very well what you were just told. I was very clear in what I just told you, Peter, I don't care if they get offended because they are not here to learn. They're here to cause problems, leave them alone. And guess what? You need to get over yourself too, Peter. Now let's go to the Greek. I'm going to show you in the New Testament Greek here. So uh, go right there to where it has the word study right up here. Did he show you how to do this? Yeah, go to the word study. Not that one, the one next to it, please. Go right there. There you go. Everybody say asinatos. So the A, and I got some Greek speakers here, my wife and Alexia and some here. Uh, Be patient with me. But here in the Greek, the word dull or foolish or stupid means asinatos or is asinatos. And the A is the negative before the word sinatos, which means sinatos is sense or intelligence. And A negates it, unintelligent, nonsensical. Okay, does everybody get that? And so it's just like atheist. Theist is God. A means no God. This literally means senseless, foolish, void of understanding. Here, other Greek translators say it is stupid. It is simple. Other here says good for nothing, worthless, stupid, foolish, without understanding. Now, let's go to the message translation. Let's go to the message, which I know I've talked to some of you guys about this. Did you lose the message translation? Because it's supposed to be right next to it. You guys have lost it? Okay, let's have a moment here just between us. Go here to where it says A. Go right up there to where it says A. Tap on that. Click it so we can see the tab, please. There you go. Now put Matthew 15. How many know this is worth the extra time? You guys believe this? Put Matthew chapter 15. 
verse 16. Okay, now go over here and scroll to the right by hitting that button. There you go. Keep it going. Isn't it fun to be in church? And it's going to come up at some point. Oh, it looks like you guys deleted the tab. It's not even there now. So you guys have deleted it. Go to Bible Gateway, please. Oh, I'll tell you what. Go to our notes because I actually have this here for you. Go to the notes of the sermon. Go to where it says doll. Oh, isn't that cool? Let's just make it simple for you guys. Because I know some of you don't have the Greek and all of that. Now scroll up. Now let me explain why I use the message, okay? Let me explain. I use the message translation not as my preaching Bible, but as a summary of Greek words that some translations choose to use or not use. If you have a problem with it, that's fine. You don't have to use the message translation ever. You can set it on fire and you can burn it if you want. Because it is not the literal word of God. It's just a book that they take the word of God and try to use the expanse of the Greek language because the Greek language being translated to English sometimes comes across a little rigid. So I will read it out of the message, then out of the NIV, and you tell me by emailing me at pastorberto at metropraise.com if you think it missed anything. Let Pastor Berto know. Peter said, I don't get it. Put it in plain language, but I believe Peter did get it because I don't think Jesus is just calling him names. Jesus said, you too? Do you notice there the reference, you too? Because in the verbiage there, Peter is now on the wrong side of the argument. That's why he brought up the offense of the Jewish people, hence the reason he's getting rebuked. You too? Are you being willfully stupid? Don't you know that anything that is swallowed works its way through the intestines and is finally defecated? But what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and cussing. That's what pollutes. Eating or not eating certain food, washing or not washing your hand is neither here nor there. Let's go to the text in the NIV, please. You've got to go back through the internet. You've got to go back to the notes. Go back to the notes, good sir. There you go. Now go up and hit back. There you go. When we look at the passage, what does Jesus say like in the NIV? He says, are you so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person by eating, uh, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. I don't think there's much of a difference personally. Like I say, if you see there's a difference, email me at pastorberto at mpichurch.org. Okay, so let's look at it. Why is Peter, number one, getting called stupid? Why is he getting called stupid? Does Jesus like to call names? No, Jesus is using the name to describe the behavior. Is name calling okay? Yes, if it describes behaviors. Does Jesus walk around calling everybody stupid all of the time? No, that's not his way of doing things. Should we walk around calling our children stupid? Should children call each other stupid? No, this should not be a normal way of acting. But can we teach our children that Miley Cyrus's new song, Mother's Daughter, is stupid? Absolutely. 
And God forbid anyone that tries to watch that. It came up on my feed. I wanted to check it out. I had to stop watching it immediately. And then I went and looked at the lyrics. She calls herself a witch. She calls herself nasty. She calls herself evil. She says she wants her freedom. She does all of those things. And that is the anthem of this generation. Just look it up when you have time. Mother's Daughter Lyrics, Miley Cyrus. My point is this is that you and I, my friends, have to call things stupid at times. And sometimes people are stupid. Sometimes they are foolish. If you like the word foolish, that's better because Mr. T said, I pity the fool, right? It sounds better when you say it like that. But foolish, unintelligent, senseless, good for nothing, all of that is the word that Peter is called. Why is that? Because Jesus is describing his behavior. He already told him the story at the beginning. Now Peter has to get rebuked because Peter is taking offense with the Jewish people and he's playing dumb like he doesn't understand it. And that's what he's being called, stupid. You're not stupid, Peter, but you're acting this way. Are you so dull? Are you so unintelligent, Peter, that I have to spell it out for the second time? Now, what does he spell out that gives us more detail? Because it does help us to have more detail to it that the actual thing they were doing in a tradition had nothing to do with their soul. It only had to do with hygiene. That's why he says it goes in your body, it goes out your body. But what I'm talking about is what's in your heart and what comes out of your heart. And then he describes all of these evil behaviors from the heart, but where do they come from? From the heart. Look at what it says. Out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, highlight that please. Evil thoughts, just highlight the phrase evil thoughts. Evil thoughts are the root from the heart that all the fruit comes from. Evil thoughts. What are evil thoughts? Just the phrase evil thoughts please, thank you. What are evil thoughts? Evil thoughts by definition are thoughts that are not about God or don't fit into God's goodness. So why is murder a sin? Why is it a sin? Because God is not a murderer. God may kill. God may take life. But God never murders. What is the definition of murder? Murder is to take an innocent life. Jesus never takes innocent lives. That's why we're commanded not to murder. And some people get it confused to say we shall not kill. No, the Bible's got a lot of killing. The Bible's got a lot of killing. It's we can't murder. Does everybody get that? We can kill criminals. It just said stone the child. Kill the child that doesn't obey their parents and curses them out. Do you think he's an Oompa Loompa and doesn't know what he's writing? Like, literally, it's in the same Ten Commandments. Thou shall not, you know, kill, as the King James says, but the word should be properly translated, thou shall not murder. Thou shall not murder is an honor thy father and thy mother, and if you don't do that, you're going to get killed. So do you think Jesus doesn't know what he's saying or the authors are making it up? No. We, as people in the 21st century, aren't understanding the Bible. It's not their fault. It's, uh, their fault. it's our fault. And so the purpose here is that, that these things are wrong is because they're not in line with God's thinking. Why is adultery wrong? Because God's not an adulterer. He doesn't cheat on us. Jesus doesn't got the church on one arm and then Buddhists on the other arm, Hindus on the other arm, and a little bit of Scientology on the other arm. Jesus is only married to the church. He has one bride, the church. You're all listening. Now, can Scientologists and Muslims and Hindus join the church? Yes, if they repent of their false beliefs. And all of us have to repent of something. 
Why is sexual immorality wrong? Same reason. God is not sexually perverse. Man and woman coming together in sex, making, making babies and procreation, is a sign of the divine unity that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have. And I use this language now because some will be perverse and say that they are having a spiritual orgy. That is the new theology of the gay movement, is that since they are all male and they are in sexual union, they are all having sexual intercourse like an orgy. And they say Jesus is a homosexual. This is not coming from the drunk on the corner. This is coming from the top universities as they try to find perverse sexuality in the Bible. They have one truth to it, and that is that God is in perfect union, but the problem is they make it physical sex. Physical sex is what we do to have union and become one. Father and Son and Spirit do not need sexual organs going in and out of each other to be one. They are one in their essence. Sex is a representation of that. They don't need to be that. We are representing that physically by what they have spiritually. Do you understand? When man and woman get together, they become one. As Christ and the church become one, as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. But remember, they don't need sexual organs to do that. We're doing that with sexual organs with our bodies to represent what they have in heaven. So they have taken a pure, holy doctrine of the unification of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and have turned it into perversion. My point is God is not sexually immoral. Why is socialism wrong? Why is stealing wrong? Because God does not steal. Even God does not take from you what God gives to you. God is not a giver that takes back. When God gives you something like life, he will not take it back and make you serve him unless you willingly serve him. Now what is hell? Hell is your choice not to be where he is. So he gets to determine where you go based on your actions. And if your actions are, I don't want you, God, well, then you get just what you wish. Hell is existence without God. Get it out of your mind that he's there doing something you don't want him to do. Hell is exactly what the sinner wants, an existence without God. But the sinner doesn't realize that every good and perfect gift has come from God, including their, their um, intelligence uh, 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 hell is like insanity, anxiety to the hundredth level, depression. What God gives now is even peace and joy from the sunlight and nature. Hell is the absence of those things in creation. It's, it's, it's looked at as a bottomless piss, pit. It's looked at as an abyss of nothingness in one sense. I mean, there's a force there, but there's nothing of creation there to enjoy. And so what really hell is is eternity without God. Why is lying wrong? Because God doesn't lie. Why is slander wrong? Because God doesn't slander. When Jesus says, Peter, you're acting stupid, why are you so dumb right here? He is not slandering him. He is not doing him wrong. He is telling him the truth. And the Bible says many proclaim they're unfaithful, or they're unfailing love, but a faithful man is hard to find. And all the women said what? Amen. You've heard a lot of men make promises to you, but they haven't kept them. Jesus makes his promises and keeps them. Jesus makes corrections out of love. Jesus disciplines out of love. Everything Jesus is doing is out of a faithful God-creator relationship, father relationships, who will never leave us nor forsake us. He says, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Can I hear an amen? amen. Rachel, would you come, please? So if you were Peter, you could write a book, Jesus Loved Me Enough to Call Me Stupid. What would you write in that book if you were Peter? You would talk about the times you thought you were smarter than Jesus, getting offended because you had watched Steve Harvey, Ellen DeGeneres, and Oprah Winfrey do things better. You thought that the, the, the Pharisees shouldn't get offended. You thought you were smarter than Jesus. So you could write a book if you've ever felt that way. Jesus loved me enough to call me stupid.
Because it's stupid to think we're more Christian than Christ. It's stupid to think we're nicer than Jesus. It's stupid to think that we're going to have a different message than the Son of God. We're not. The message of the Son of God is the most loving, kindest, gentlest, gracious message the human race has ever heard. Telling somebody they're not wrong when they're wrong is the meanest thing you can ever do. Not confronting people and the issues of their heart is total wickedness. For me, not to tell Ellen DeGeneres she's in sin is the most wicked thing I could do. It would be even worse. It's worse than letting her get hit by a car. It's worse than letting her contract AIDS. And I can do something about it. You and I are responsible to tell the world about God's standards. Now let's go to this last story here. Uh, It's not the last story in the chapter, but the one that last one we can get to. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly. How many know that's a, a problem that all of us, if we had, we would go to Jesus and ask help, right? Okay, let's see what Jesus does. Jesus does not answer a word. Jesus just keeps walking, ignoring her. Seems mean, doesn't it? But let's keep going. So his disciples came to him and urged, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Now he's going to give an answer. He says, I was sent here only to the lost sheep of Israel. I didn't come here to go help India. I didn't come here to go help China. I'm not here for the Romans. I'm not here for the Greeks. I am here for the lost sheep of Israel. Now see what she says back. She knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She says, you're a do-. He says to her, you are a dog, and I don't even want to give you the children's bread. That's your Jesus right there calling a woman on her knees asking for a miracle. Jesus says, you are a dog. See, all I'm going to do is just take the same words but rearrange them in a sentence differently, but the same words here. You are a dog, and you don't get the children's bread. Now, the woman is not your typical feminist. She is not your Americanized woman with privilege and all of that. This is what the woman says. Yes, it is, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Let me put some explanation here. There's a group of people that street preach now. They're called black Hebrew Israelites. They're in the city. They're downtown. And they use scriptures like this to be racist. And they say, Jesus only came for Israelites. Israelites are African Americans and Latinos and Native Americans. And so he does not give a rip about the rest of you. You are dogs to him. They will use this verse to prove their point. They're racist. Sad, there was white racists the exact same way that believed that Israelites were white. There's a modern version of them, not the Ku Klux Klan. There's a modern version of them called the Worldwide Church of God. You will see them on YouTube videos. After you've watched the video, they'll have their ads up right there with the Latter-day Saints. They are a white Anglo-Saxon cult that believe the original uh, uh, Israelite people were white, 
And if you're non-white, you ain't right. Okay? But the black version of this I want to talk about because they use this now and it's on our streets. There's two things that they miss. The first thing, does Jesus just call her a dog and then walk away? No. He calls her a dog and then responds to her and heals her. What does that tell us? Is that Jesus is going to do something for non-Jewish people and Gentiles. It's just now is not his time. Scroll up, please, to verse 24. At verse 24, I have all the notes where Jesus begins to change his mission. Even at the end of Matthew, he says, Now go into all the nations, plural, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he says, Start in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. This confirms the promise that was given to Abraham that God would make Abraham a great nation of Israel. And then through the great nation of Israel, the nations, plural, of the world would be saved and that confirms with revelation when we see the people group there in front of the lamb it says they were praising God from every nation tribe and tongue are you listening so we cannot take Jesus's words I am only sent to the lost sheep of Israel to mean that he was only going to care about Israelites as a matter of fact he has already healed a Roman centurion son when he had great faith so what Jesus is doing is giving us a taste of what he's going to do in the Gentiles. But number two, where they are right, though Israel is not black, and I'll talk about that if I have time, is that all other nations outside of Israel are considered dogs to God. So if you are not born from Israelite stock, if you cannot trace your family today back to the Jewish people, your nation. My nation is a dog to God. Let that set in. Let that set in. Italian, dog to God. Precious sheep is Israel, by the way. Lost sheep, Israel. Dog, Italians. Polish, dog. Why? Why is it these nations are dogs? It's because only one nation was given the commands of God to be a light to all the other nations, and they are God's favorite, they are God's treasure, they are God's best. And you and I don't get to change that. Do you understand that? And they have suffered, the Jewish people, throughout history more than any group of people in all of history because Satan knows their privileged position. But now watch this. There's a truth to this that some of you might not have got because it's in the wording. Even though our nations are dog kind to Jesus, we can still have him as our master. Because notice, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Then she said, yes, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from what? Their master's table. So the dog nations of all the Latin American nations, of all the Asian nations, of all the Middle Eastern nations, of all the European nations, all the dog nations can have Jesus be their master. And how many of you love your dogs? Come on. 
And we can become, watch this, we don't become Israelites. Israel is still Israel. They are a separate olive tree, the Bible says. But we, as Romans 11 teaches, as wild olive branches from a different tree, get engrafted into Israel because of the Jew Jesus who died for the whole world to make Jew and Gentile one. We become one in Christ, but our nations, still dogs. As much as I love the nation of America and I pray that we will put God first and all that we do and that God will bless this nation, this nation will be destroyed and America will remain. As much as I love Mexico and I've been to Chilapa and Nayarit and I've been to Puerto Vallarta, as much as I love uh, Vijayawada and Andhra Pradesh, India and uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, as much as I love the places of the world that I've been, they will all be laid to rubbish when the nuke of Jesus' feet touches down in Jerusalem and cleanses the world of evil. All those nations will have to be rebuilt under the banner of the one nation, Israel. We will all be Israelite citizens in the kingdom to come, ruling and reigning with Christ. And so Jesus is very clear here. He is not a racist. He is not distinguishing us based on our country of origin for a negative uh, outcome. But he is wanting to see, will we humble ourselves? So now put yourself in the woman's story. She's a Canaanite. She's a dog nation. She's part of a nation that has actually had its roots in oppressing God's people. As all of our nations have turned away in some way from God. Look at Machu Picchu. Look at the Mayans. Look at the Aztecs. Look at the Chinese dynasties. Look at the Roman Empire. Look at the Greeks. We've all turned from God. Israel was the one that was given these rights, and we did not listen, in other words. We turned. And so when she's called a dog, instead of her getting offended, going, who, who do you think you are calling me a dog, you Israelite? She goes, yeah, but even the dogs get crumbs from their masters. Yes, Lord, my Italian heritage has been wicked before you, but aren't you the master of Italians as well? Lord, Polish people and the Saxon, Anglo-Saxon people were wicked. Oh, but God, don't they get crumbs from you as well. We weren't your chosen people, but can I now be chosen in your chosen one, Christ, and be brought into the heritage of Israel and rule and reign with you from Jerusalem? See, that's why he says to the woman, you have great faith. And if we go to Matthew 8.10, we don't have to turn there, but if you look there, it says he even rebukes the Jewish people and says, hey, you guys all think you're getting in because you're Jewish? No, you're not getting in. Some of these pagans, some of these Gentiles, some of these dogs, they're going to get in and take your seat and you're going to get cast to hell. Go to Matthew 8.10. Some of y'all don't believe Jesus talks like that. Looking at me like y'all don't believe that. Didn't we already go over this? I needed a bigger amen though on that. I needed a bigger amen to close this down before 3 o'clock. Look at it. Now Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who are following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Stop. Er, who's got greater faith than anybody he's ever seen in Israel? The Roman centurion. Hey, oh, Tony, you did a good job there, Tony. All right, hey. Tony, Tony, and Tony, and, you know, whatever his name is, you know. Tony, and, what's the guy from uh, Scarf? Montana, but he's not technically Italian, but you get what I'm saying. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. 
I say to you, and he's talking right to the Jews now, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many are glad Jesus made room for the ta- at the table for you and for me? Amen. Praise God. And let me just close it out. Let's go back to the notes, please, since I mentioned it. The Israelite people are not one color. That is redonkulous. The Israelite people are all the colors of the rainbow of human, human uh, culture because they have been basically almost in every single culture because of their disp- disp- um, being dispersed. There are Jewish Uh, Settlements in China, Pakistan, Southeast Asia. There are Jewish settlements in Europe, obviously. There are Jewish settlements in the Middle East and other parts of of the Arabian Peninsula. There's Jewish settlements in Ethiopia and parts of Africa. The Jewish people, when they got dispersed, they just kept moving. And the Bible literally says they'll be dispersed to the four corners of the world. So when you look at a Jewish person, you can't just say, oh, yeah, that... That's a Jewish person by the way they look. So these uh, black Hebrew Israelites who try to cause division by just looking at a black person calling them Israel, that is so redonkulous because the, the continent of Africa has been divided up over pagan nations and Egyptians and so many different tribes and religions. You can't say that the entire continent is Israel. Does everybody get that? And the Muslims will tell you that too. A lot of the, uh, the slaves that came over here, like Louis Farrakhan, will tell you they came speaking Arabic, and they had Arabic names. And we changed them to, not we, but the, uh, the slave owners changed them to, to other names, right? So the idea isn't they were all Hebrew, they were all um, Ashante or uh, Zulu or all Israel. They were all different nationalities. And by the way, uh, talking about inter- integration, Moses married an Ethiopian. So whatever color of skin he was, we know what an Ethiopian is, made a different kind of color of skin. And so there's times where they married the Anglo-Babylonian people, and that's what they got in trouble for, the people that look more like me. And so they lived in the time of the Roman Empire, and a lot of them that we learn about that were Jews, they were converts to Judaism. Like we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, we see they were God-fearers, like Cornelius. So he was probably a light-skinned Roman, looking similar to me as an Italian, but he uh, converted to the Jewish religion. And so obviously, there was all kinds of colors and cultures in the Jewish religion, just like today. There's not one color of a Christian. Does everybody get that? But the point still remains here in closing, is that Jesus loves her and does something for her, even though his mission is just for Israel, he shows us a taste of what he's going to do for the world because there are still people from dog nations calling out to Jesus and receiving miracles. And then number two, he shows us that there's only one master. There's only one God. There's only one creator. And whether you're a sheep or a dog, you can come in that way and then become a sheep, become born again, become one of his. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus today as we stand. We thank you, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Sorry for all the tech.